And if there's a lot of interest, we do what we call flood the zone. We'll program um, a number of different events and pieces of content with a number of different experts uh, across a number of different angles. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Eric Jaffe. Eric is the Managing Director and Global Head of Content at GLG. He leads a team of content and production professionals who create thousands of monetized world-class virtual events and transcripts for clients every year. Before GLG, Eric worked as an Iraq policy advisor in the office of the U.S. Secretary of Defense, where he was a Presidential Management Fellow. He holds an MA in International Relations and International Economics from the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies and a BA in Government from Cornell University. And I think this was one of the most uh, like unique let's say, introductions we've ever done uh, for this podcast. Eric, welcome. Thank you, George. I appreciate it. So as we do with every guest here at the show, I guess my question is, like, I, I want to learn about, about you and your background, but more specifically, how did that jump happen uh, from, like, working essentially for the U.S. government, right? Or uh, Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, to this world that you are uh, in today. Yeah, great question. Um, it took a lot of hard work, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I was working and living in Washington, D.C., and for personal reasons, um, wanted to move to London. Um, and so I started to investigate um, different pathways, both with the government, but also in the private sector. Um, and long story short, the government path that was uh, potentially going to be made available to me to stay somewhere within the you know kind of U.S. defense apparatus because they do have different um, opportunities in the U.K. Um, it was going to take a really long time. And after interviewing with a number of different private sector companies in political risk consulting, uh, management consulting, um, and then uh, GLG. A lot of the feedback I got, frankly, was you seem smart, but we don't really know what you can do for us. Uh, but I was able to um, convey to GLG that when I worked at the Pentagon, 
Uh, my role on the Iraq policy desk uh, once President Obama had come into office was to, as a relatively junior person, help manage uh, the office's congressional portfolio. And so I, I was able to communicate that, you know, I sort of thought of Congress and the committees that were relevant uh, as my client and that I was developing client service skills. And long story short, it worked. Uh, it, it actually, I think, did make sense uh, in retrospect. That was a, a sort of soft skill that I had learned when I was at the Pentagon. Um, it didn't stop my colleagues at GLG in London from thinking I, you know, worked undercover for the CIA when I started it for probably about the first year. Uh, but eventually I convinced them I'm here, you know, all day long working like, side by side with you. Uh, I am actually a, a real GLG employee. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough. Um, it, it was a lot of research, a lot of um, rejection. Uh, and for anyone who's trying to change careers, um, you know, I, I know how humbling that is and how hard it is. Uh, but I, so much, so much growth came out of it and I, I have no regrets. I'm so grateful for having made that switch. Can you speak about your role today and also about what duties and what the main services are, who you serve and who gets the most value and, and so on? For sure. So um, I'll back up and start with what GLG is. So um, people may or may not know that GLG is the world's leading platform for insight. Um, we started this industry uh, about 25 years ago. Actually, this is our 25th anniversary this year, which we're celebrating. Um, <clears throat> and it start, the company started by our two founders, Mark Gerson and Thomas Lerman, essentially trying to start a publishing company. And they got doctors to write research reports for uh, healthcare investors. And the feedback they got from those investors uh, when they were, uh, you know, getting them to write these reports was, I don't have time to read this, you know, 500 page document. Can you just put me in touch with the person who wrote it? And that was what birthed this idea of uh, connecting, uh, you know, people who need to learn, professionals who need to learn with experts. And they built out this network, um, which now stands at over 1 million in size. So we have over a million experts in our, uh, over, all over the world in our network. And we have thousands of clients. And what GLG does is you could think about us as like a, an Uber for expertise. We connect professionals who need to learn with, um, we aspire to connect them with the perfect expert uh, out there in the world to address whatever it is that they need to learn. And of course, in our increasingly complex and interconnected world, more and more professionals need to learn and they need to learn quickly. And so we're really good at going out and finding the exact right subject matter expert very quickly and connecting them to someone who needs to learn. So that is the core uh, of GLG's business. Sometimes it's referred to as the expert network business. Um, and we we service that uh, globally across our 24 uh, offices, primarily by our clients coming to us and saying, hey, I want to learn about, um, you know, specialty chemicals distribution or uh, the impact of Silicon Valley Bank um, and and uh, and what happened there. Our content, I, I'm our global head of content. Our content businesses, I have a team of over 100 professionals uh, all over the world in Asia, Europe, India and North America. And they are creating content all day and pushing that to our clients. Um, the content comes in primarily two forms. One, live events. So I have content moderators who are steeped uh, in the areas in which they cover, you know, might be um, public equity investor telecom team. It might be a healthcare team. Um, uh, and they will host an expert. Um, oftentimes on Zoom, and invite clients to come attend. Um, and we typically cap attendance for many of our, our, our best events. And we host literally hundreds of those events every month. Um, and we are constantly inviting our clients on different distribution lists and pushing alerts to them, letting them know, hey, we're about to host this event. We know that um, this topic is of interest to you. Why don't you come? 
Um, we also, um, the, the second type of content that we create are transcripts. And this is an increasingly prevalent uh, a form of learning for professionals. Um, a lot of our clients who are investors, they want to read transcripts before they conduct one-to-one -one interviews. Because if you think about it, if you're trying to get up to speed on a topic, um, a one-to-one -one phone call may not be the most efficient or effective way of doing that because you yourself as the learner may not know what questions to ask. So if you can read a transcript about a company uh, or about a sector or about a trend, get smart, that will allow you to conduct that one-to-one -one call with an expert much more effectively. And so we create um, hundreds of transcripts. We create about 350 transcripts per month that populate uh, in GLG's content library, um, which is sort of like a Netflix for learning that we are built uh, that we that we have and that we are investing a lot of resources to to, to build out. Um, so that is primarily uh, my role as global head of content to oversee this team. Uh, to you know, oversee our editorial standards, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, career framework, uh, you know, editorial quality, uh, the library as a repository for it, and also importantly to make sure that we are pushing that content, those transcripts, those events out to our clients and prospective clients, uh, you know, as a, as effectively as we possibly can. That's one of the things that, like, unless you. Uh... You heard about it or you were involved in a discussion and you like somehow encountered it in, in some form or another i wouldn't like i wouldn't expect that there is such a thing right like a network <laughs> and uh that it's uh as i hear it at least it's very based on it's heavily based on content and but but in a very unique way right this is not something that you get to hear every day and it's it's very impressive but can I like? I would like to dig a deep, deeper here. Can we like share just a couple of use cases? Let's say that we are we are talking about a, a tech company, right? Regardless of whether it's a SaaS company, software, or hard tech, or whatever, can we share a use case of like this company needs GLG for that reason? This is the the use case here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, our, the the content that my team creates is primarily geared toward investor clients, but um, GLG's core business absolutely serves corporate clients. That is um, uh, our actually fastest growing part of our business. Um, and there's a number of different use cases for the core GLG service. So for example, um, if a, a corporation is uh, considering building out a new product, um, they may want to go and interview prospective buyers of that product, uh, decision makers. They can actually use GLG to conduct a survey so they could um, have GLG arrange uh, a panel of a dozen different buyers or prospective buyers and get their feedback across a number of different products uh, or potential products to, to, to see, um, you know, product market fit, uh, help craft their go-to-market, uh, et cetera. Um, uh, another use case is in the case of um, regulatory or breaking news that may affect, uh, you know, an investment or uh, a company's holdings. Um, it's Silicon Valley Bank being a, a prime example of that. When that uh, Friday, uh, I believe it was uh, in March, uh, when uh, it was announced that, you know, there was uh, major problems with Silicon Valley Bank, I believe it was at three o'clock uh, Eastern that afternoon, we had uh, a former expert um, from the FDIC speak to the potential implications of uh, Silicon Valley Bank um, closing and what might, what that might mean, what that might look at. We're very careful at GLG 
Um, we have a world-class compliance framework. We built the industry's compliance framework. So we are careful not to work, for example, with current government officials. We have a very robust compliance process for all of the content we generate, for all of the one interactions that we facilitate. And our clients love us for that reason. Um, but we are really good at, within that compliance framework, getting the person who has the best expertise in the world to speak to our clients. So as I mentioned, could be um, researching a new product and a, a go-to-market. It could be uh, you know breaking news and trying to not just consume the news, but contextualize the news. One of the biggest use cases for content at GLG is um, you know, we think FT, New York Times, Bloomberg, whatever your preferred news source is, it's really good at breaking news and telling you what happened. But what we often find is our clients lack the context. What does it mean? Yes, we know that Silicon Valley Bank may close. What does that mean? What could that look like? How will that happen? What will the second and third order effects of that be? Those are that's information that is very you, you can't Google that. You can't really find that out online. You have to speak to an expert who has firsthand knowledge, who's lived it before. And that's where GLG content uh, and, and our core value proposition can can really come in handy. I don't know, but the word that comes to my mind as I hear you speak is community. Would you say that there is a like community or an element of community in what you've built? Absolutely. Um, that that is that is the goal. You know, GLG has a global business, and we um, are the original. Uh, you know, we, we created the industry, and we remain the largest player in the industry. But we really try to serve our users and our clients locally, which is why we have offices set up all over the world. And my team knows, you know, specifically, you know, the, the person who covers ed tech on my public equities team knows who the top, you know, 500 uh, users are in North America uh, who focus on ed tech. Uh, and those users will come to this person's events time and time again. Healthcare is the same way. Um, healthcare uh, investors all know each other. They go to the same conferences. They go to ASCO. They go to AAS. Um, and our team knows them and has really built out a nice community of them. Um, and for our um, most premium clients, our, our team will make sure that they are aware of breaking news and say, hey, you know, we just saw this happen. Uh, I think a meeting with, you know, the uh, a certain expert, uh, this would be really timely and impactful. And that's part of what our clients love about us is that they that we can anticipate their demands and proactively push to them the things that are most relevant. You mentioned having presence in, correct me if I'm wrong, 25 countries. Does that mean and that you have um, like team members in some of these countries or all of these countries? I don't know. Does that mean that some of your content is not in English, like you have content in other in other languages? Yeah, that's correct. So I, th I believe it's, I should have checked right before this, but it, I think it's 25 global offices. I'm not sure the number of countries, because for example, we have, I believe six offices in North America today, maybe five or six. Um, but yes, we have content that is in Mandarin. Um, we have content that uh, is in um, a variety of different uh, languages on the continent in Europe. Um, and that is a growth area of our business. We, we serve thousands of clients uh, across Europe, the Middle East, uh, and APAC. So one of the two like main uh, core content formats is these virtual events in the form of, as I perceive it, correct me if I'm wrong, like sort of webinars or one-on-ones like interviews, right? Um, my question would be with all this like experience conducting interviews um, that feed your content creation uh, engine, do you have any like tips on how to conduct an effective interview 
in the context of extracting valuable um, insights? I do. Um, I, I think GLG works because it's very specific. Um, our clients come to us, um, yes, for macro level, uh, uh, you know, communication. Yet we have an incredible array of former heads of state, ambassadors, economists, Nobel Prize winners. Um, but the the majority of what our clients come for us to uh, come to us for is very specific information. So if you look at uh, you know the list of uh, events and content that are coming up at GLG. Uh, you know, it's very, very specific. Uh, so for example, I'll just read off some of the topics that are literally today. Um, you know, uh, Adler, Pelzer, high yield credit update. Uh, we're doing a remote roundtable on diabetes, uh, diabetes therapeutics and devices. Um, we're doing another, what we call remote roundtable on testing inspection in the certification industry. So, um, these are very, very specific topics. And I think that, um, that's what our clients find valuable is the specificity of the, of the, uh, you know, the focus, because they're focused on very, very narrow subjects and trying to gain expertise on them. I think when it comes to, um, the actual, um, mechanics of an individual interview, I think there's probably three things, uh, you know, as I reflect, uh, cause I've hosted, probably at this point, thousands of events. And I, you know, I host GLG's podcast. The first is, um, you know, do your homework. Uh, you know, it's important, I think, to to do research, uh, just as you did. And you're coming in, you know, with lots of questions about GLG uh, that are informed by the research that you did. Um, the second thing I think is wherever possible, try to build some rapport. Um, particularly when you're interviewing somebody who's really senior, I think it's important to uh, get that rapport a little bit early on and, and make sure that you can um, make them feel comfortable. And then the final sort of mechanical advice I would give is just, you know, be present, listen attentively, and don't be overly scripted. So for example, like for you, you sent me a list of questions in advance, but you know, we're just sort of organically having this conversation now. Um, so I, I think those rules have have worked really well. And I've tried to promote that um, mindset, I think, to our, our global team of content hosts. No, my, my question is what troubles me here is that when it comes to like text-based content, you can sort of maintain or check like ensure quality how do you do that for these virtual events that you have and i mean do you measure the effectiveness or satisfaction through surveys that you send afterwards or how does that work yeah it's a great question so we have two primary ways that we keep tabs if you will and enforce quality um the first one is the number of attendees is a decent proxy for are we programming on the right topic with the right expert at the right time, which is uh, effectively what we're trying to do. Um, so, it, you know, uh, up until the start of the event, uh, if you've got like the, the right people there and, a, and a, um, the right number of people there, uh, you know, we're aiming for, you know, roughly six, seven, eight attendees per event. Some of our events have 15, 20. Some of our uncapped events will have hundreds of people. Um, so if you're getting the, the attendance, uh, then, then that's great. On the um, more qualitative side, we have our team leaders uh, who sit in. Um, so I have uh, team leaders who have deep, you know, 15, 20 years of experience. My head of public equities, uh, you know, worked on the buy side for, for 20 years, worked across all investment strategies. Um, it, our team leaders will sit in on the events and fill out, you know, a, a form and give the hosts feedback. Um, so it's not necessarily every event that gets sat in on, but we try to um, have that regular feedback process uh, that's internal. We do in the we have in the past, and we expect to in the future have um, a more systematic way of 
um, soliciting feedback from our users, from the users who've attended. Um, uh, and we will, I think um, it, that will be most easy to implement um, as we get more and more users onto our library. So we want to have uh, on our library, much like you would, you know, almost on Amazon, you know, rate something five stars. We'd like to be able to have our users rate uh, our transcripts, uh, you know, according to stars and even leave qualitative feedback um, so that we can get a better sense for uh, what our clients value, what they like, what they don't like, and then also potentially share that back to, to the users who are on the library. We will discuss about transcripts, but I would like to um, discuss how you come up with these topics. Um, even though you kind of touched on that, like you mentioned the, the, the example of SVB and what happened there, is it solely based on like the demand that you have from clients or is it that you know what we see uh, here, and uh, a trend that's emerging: uh, AI content, generative AI, whatever this may be. I'm just, um, I just bring this up as an example because it's happening right now, and most people in our in our industry are kind of um, aware of it. Or, yeah. So I guess my question is: How do you come up with these topics? Is it solely based on, you know, the demand that you have from clients? Or is it that you uh, are proactive about it and you you monitor uh, trends closely and you will do um, a, a an event about something that you feel is important right now? It's it's a mix. We definitely try to be relentlessly focused on our users. So if our users aren't going to come to something, we're not going to program it. However, um, so so we are paying, as you said, we pay very close attention to what our, our clients are saying, what they're telling us, what they're interested in. We're very careful not to compromise any of our clients' investment hypotheses. Uh, and so we have training and and uh, and our and, uh, processes in place to avoid doing that. Um, but, we, you know, if there's a glut of clients, uh, you know, focus on uh, a specific public equity, if an, an earnings call have got, has gone in, you know, a certain direction, we're going to program on that topic. And if there's a lot of interest, we do what we call flood the zone. We'll program um, a number of different events and pieces of content with a number of different experts uh, across a number of different angles. Now, in addition to talking to our clients and paying attention to what they're focused on, of course, we're also reading the news. We're on Bloomberg terminals. We're looking uh, at, you know, which way, uh, you know, credit markets are moving. Um, we're talking to private equity. So uh, my team uh, programs content across all different investment strategies, and they're reading the news and connecting the dots and trying to see what's of interest. But to your last point, you know, we may not see um, a number of projects uh, coming from our clients, for example, on how to effectively deploy AI across you know different industries. But we know that that's going to be interesting, particularly if we get an expert who's going to be interesting. So if we have the former, you know, head of AI uh, from uh, from Amazon, uh, you know, that person is probably going to have something interesting to say to our clients. Um, and so we will program across thematic areas of interest, Silicon Valley Bank and its potential impact across a variety of different sectors being another great example of that. And in the past, there have been topics like, you know, the euro crisis back in, uh, you know, the mid 2010s. Um, you know, the uh, uh, sovereign debt default uh, of Puerto Rico um, and, you know, uh, Japan's, um, uh, you know, Abenomics uh, uh, proposal and how that impacted the yen are a few, uh, you know, particular topics that I, I remember being, um, you know, there were there were weeks or perhaps even months of thematic programming that we did on that for clients all over the world. 
it's a lot of content. I mean, from uh, <laughs> from a management standpoint, like, can you speak about how you how do you manage all, all these like piece of content events, uh, transcripts, all these things that you do on a monthly basis? I mean, the most important thing I do is I hire people a lot smarter than I am on my team <laughs> to lead the team and to help. Uh, because all of, you know, I, I, as you no noted, my background um, is, uh, you know, on policy and regulatory matters. And I led our legal, economic and regulatory affairs practice for three and a half years. And that is still an area of, of deep interest and passion for me. Um, but um, I hire really, really smart people with a lot of subject matter expertise and passion um, who know a lot, who learn a lot about GLG and then are therefore able to act as effectively editors in chief over their respective areas of content. Because at the global level, um, it wouldn't be realistic for me or any other person uh, to have mastery over these number of topics. I mean, it's probably roughly equivalent to you know, an executive editor uh, at a new, at, you know, at a big newspaper or a head of research at a big investment fund uh, or a big corporation. Um, you know, uh, it was once described to me as like, you know, a role like this is not. Uh, perhaps it's based on being like a, a, a university dean, where you have your um, your discipline. You know, every dean is going to have a PhD, and most of them come. Uh, you know, are are. Um, uh, well-respected and accomplished within their discipline, and then you become a dean, uh, but you 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 continue to hone your discipline. So uh, I still, as I mentioned, host events, uh, particularly with our legal, economic, and regulatory affairs experts, host our podcast, etc. Okay, that makes sense. I would like to go back to transcripts a bit and um, discuss what are the best practices that you can share with us when it comes to repurposing content from live events. Um, and also, what's the contribution of technology in this process? Because I don't expect, of course, I, I, we'll, we'll hear from you, but I don't expect that you you do this process manually, or at least it's, it's assisted by technology. Um, so yeah, any best practices that you can share or on content repurposing from a live event to a transcribe, uh, transcribed version, um, and what's the role of technology in that process? Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, like most things with technology, I would say the best practice is keep it simple. Um, you know, we try to have our transcription process work as simply as possible, uh, particularly when you're creating content at the scale that we are. Every extra step creates complexity and the potential for things to get screwed up. Um, so our process is we have two types of events. We have those that are transcribed and those that are not. And our clients that know that some of our events are not transcribed, um, I think they value that because um, they know that they're they can ask questions. Those are for our what we call our remote roundtable product. It's our more um, premium product. They're capped in terms of attendance, and so um, we want clients to feel like they can ask questions and speak to the expert in such a way that uh, they, they they won't have their hypotheses captured and, and shared out with other clients. But for our events that are transcribed. Um, keep it simple. We um, we transcribe uh, live the, the 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 actual conversation um, for uh, uh, events where the um, topic is particularly time sensitive. We do a compliance check. The host will do a compliance check to make sure there was nothing said that uh, would even come close to uh, you know running up against any of our compliance policies. And then we will post what we call a you know a preliminary transcript or a first draft transcript just because we know it's so important to get it out to the market. 
Um, and then there will be a second turn that the host does to edit it and polish it up a bit more over the course of the next 24 to 36 hours. And that's it. Then it's on the library. Um, we, you know, at, at this, excuse me, at the scale that we're operating and the way that our clients use us, um, you know, that process, I think, has worked really well. Um, so, yeah, that that's basically how we operate. And um, but sorry, I should mention the other form of content is just the offline interviews. So we have. Um, I have a team that all they do all day is interview experts, not for live events, but they interview them offline. That conversation is transcribed and we call those library exclusive transcripts and they go directly into our library. Um, and that produces a huge scale. Those are, that produce about 350 transcripts per month. That's massive. I guess for, for someone though, to, for the information to be accessible to your, your clients, um, like this is powered by technology, right? I mean, for me to search for something, I'm assuming that there is some sort of search engine or search capabilities so that I can access the piece of information that I'm looking for. That's correct. We have the, uh, we call it the GLG library. Um, and uh, in the library, you can see uh, all of our content that has been created. Uh, and you can also see the upcoming events. And we've invested a lot of um uh, resources in building out the library. We actually have a what we're calling a, an alpha version of it that we just released last month, which we're ramping out, uh, ramping up now and, and delivering to all of our users. We've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on it. Um, and in that tool, you can search for content, you can do some discovery. And over time, we're going to build in the ability uh, for the tool to, for you to be able to save uh, alerts, much like you would on Zillow, for example. Hey, I'm interested in tech. I'm interested in energy and industrials. These are the regions. These are the specific narrow areas of interest. Please have the tool push me updates whenever anything goes into the library so I can stay aware. Our clients really, really want that. And then um, we're also going to build out, um, uh, much like you would see, for example, on a Netflix or a Hulu, um, we're, we're, we're um, experimenting right now with like carousels. So when you log on as a user, you would see a bespoke carousel. Uh, you know, left to right and see the content that is most interesting and relevant to you. We know uh, that Netflix generates uh, about 80% of its usage from recommendations. So we've also invested in um, a pretty sophisticated recommendation engine that we're going to pipe into that library. And we hope to have uh, what we're calling Library 2.0 uh, out later this summer. And then importantly, we also um, have started a partnership with Bloomberg. So you can actually now get GLG transcripts on the Bloomberg terminal. Um, and we we have done a soft launch of that, and we're going to announce uh, the formal Bloomberg partnership along with Library 2.0 uh, later this summer. That's all very interesting. Are there change? Are, are there differences uh, when it comes to the content creation process across different industries? For example, pharma vs. I don't know uh, tech or something like that, due to like regulations or like legal differences that may uh, apply in one case? Uh... Yeah, the Sunshine Laws uh, do um, constrain healthcare, uh, but I would say um, that's true both of, uh, you know, the core one-to-one -one interactions that uh, Insight Networks may facilitate as well as the content we generate. I think the big um, changes, if you will, or differences uh, are there are other competitors out there to GLG that have different styles of content uh, creation? Um, we love ours. Uh, we feel strongly that we have chosen the right one. Um, we have uh, a team of unbiased content moderators that interview the experts. 
uh, and we get those transcripts out to our clients as quickly as we possibly can. Um, other, some of our competitors have embargo periods, for example, uh, but we feel, and we know from our clients how important it is to get that content uh, you know, moderated again in an unbiased way by someone who's been in the field for a while uh, and getting it out as quickly to the market as we possibly can. Okay. Um, can I ask you, how do you see the rise of um, generative AI and more specifically generative content, content affect and impact both positively and negatively what you do? I think it's a big deal. Uh, and I think that it is mostly going to be positive. Um, there's, there's, let's say there's two different paths. There's the near term impact of what something like a chat GBT can offer. So if you think about the transcripts that we have, um, <clears throat> it's actually quite time consuming to summarize a transcript. And these are long interviews, 45 minutes, an hour. Uh, they're very valuable. They're very rich in insight. But for either the content creator, the host, the GLG person, or the expert to then summarize the key points of a transcript is labor intensive. And I have done some work with ChatGPT. It's quite good at doing summaries. It's actually, I mean, it's, it's a little scary how good it is. I don't really uh, understand how, uh, how it does that. Um, I, that's obviously the magic of, uh, of, of AI. So Right out of the gate, there are going to be use cases, I think, uh, for our industry to deploy AI to add value to our users in a way that I think will be additive uh, and incremental uh, in nature. Um, in the more medium term, I think that uh, AI is going to be an enabler for uh, GLGers. Um, so if you think about its ability for, you know, a core, uh, you know, GLG direct client service professional, um, AI is going to make their search for experts through our millions of experts uh, or over a million experts. It's just going to make it better, right? It's going to it's going to deliver uh, to that GLG uh, client solutions professional based on what the client is interested in. A very, I think, um, accurate uh, list of of experts who could be a good fit. In the more long term, where I see the industry is uh, going is if you think about the transcripts that we that we have, um, that's a really valuable asset. There's a lot of information in those transcripts uh, that's very valuable. Um, and, and where I could see this going is um, if that uh, corpus, if you will, of transcripts could be um, used with a chat GPT-like overlay, you could imagine a professional going into, you know, the GLG GPT, asking it a question, you know, what are, who, who are the big buyers of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Crest toothpaste, and having the um, the GLG GPT uh, deliver a very smart results, uh, and then with embedded in those results could be links to potential experts, potential transcripts, and so it could almost be like a constellation of options of different GLG products that could allow the user to learn, and and this would sort of guide their learning journey. So whereas now. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the GLG interface is human. And I think it, it would be in the future. This, this kind of interface, I think will, um, uh, just add a lot more value for our users as they're going through their daily learning process. Is auditing your content, because as we discussed, like you, you roll out a few hundreds of, of content pieces, like in different formats, uh, every month. And I'm assuming that at this point there there must be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of 
piece of content in your library. So is there a time where you will, for example, delete a piece of content because it's outdated? And how can you do that at such a like massive scale, right? We're not just talking about auditing a couple of like uh, hundreds of, of, of pieces of content. We are talking about thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Uh, so I guess my question is, how do you ensure um, that your uh, inventory and like your library or however you, you call it is accurate and up to date? And whether there is a time that you say that, you know what, we need to remove this because it doesn't apply anymore. It's a great question. Um, <clears throat> Some of our clients, particularly credit investors, do like to go back and see, um, you know, some of these uh, companies have been distressed for many years. And so they will like to go back and see transcripts from years ago to better understand the history of a, of a distressed uh, credit. Um, but you're right. I think um, for most other professionals, uh, you know, learning... Um, you know, how valuable is it to better understand the potential impact of COVID on industry back in 2021 or, you know, late 2020? It, it might not be that valuable. That said, um, you know, the library allows you to search by, um, you know, uh, by date. So you can sort of constrain the date however you want. Um, we haven't thought too much about how to pull out content from the library, nor have we gotten a lot of feedback from users that they're, um, you know, overcome by search results that are not relevant. Um, perhaps that might be something we need to revisit in the future. Uh, but at the moment, um, simply, I mean, the most important thing is we're adding, uh, you know, over 500, 600, 700 pieces of uh, content per month. Um, and as long as we're getting that new content into the library and into the hands of our users every month, I think we're okay. Yeah, that makes sense. This was all very insightful. I mean, this was a different conversation because it kind of opened a window to a completely different world that I personally ignored. I didn't know that, you know, this is a thing. And I think that this is what makes it like so interesting. Um, so thank you very much for this, uh, uh, Eric. And last question I have for you, where can people find out more about you and GLG and get in touch if they'd like to? Yeah, I mean, anyone uh, email me. My email is ejaffe, E-J-A-F-F-E at glgroup.com. Uh, GLG's website certainly has a lot of information about GLG. Um, you can listen to Deciding Factors, uh, my podcast, GLG's podcast, uh, on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. My last one, actually, that we just released, I think about a week and a half ago, was with Barney Frank, uh, the author of Dodd-Frank, the famous congressman um, who we talked with about Silicon Valley Bank. Um, I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. And then, you know, George, to, to your last comment, um, first of all, it was great speaking with you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, people who don't know about GLG, it's it's not um, it's not the most commonly known industry. Uh, but for people who know the industry, they're using it every day. And so, one of the things that we're trying to do, we're you know, GLG's been around for 25 years. We are trying to get uh, you know more awareness of GLG and the industry and promote it because. Um, but I, I do think that this is a big idea. Uh, professionals of all stripes need to learn. Uh, and GLG, I think, is the best way to learn. Uh, and so we're we're looking forward to um, bringing awareness to, to as many people as possible. That's right. I, I agree. Um, well, thank you very much, Eric. Thank you very much for doing this. Awesome. Thanks, George. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, AHFs. 
Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahers.com/awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.